Today's scripture reading will be from Romans 3, 21 through 31. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just in the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of the Lord. Praise, Praise be to Christ. Thanks again, Marissa. So everybody, we are, uh, we're in our series, our, our, our fall series that we're calling Love Supreme. Uh, it's not a, an exploration of the music of John Coltrane, although I wish uh, that on some level that, that we could do that as well. Uh, this is actually a series on the anchor doctrines of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, and you may be aware that this year marks the 500th uh, year anniversary of that, that day that Martin Luther took a bold stand, nailed the 95 theses to the door at the uh, castle church at Wittenberg, uh, and it changed everything, and it's part of why we're here today. Uh, but it was Luther himself that said these words about justification by faith alone. That's our anchor doctrine for the day. He said this, when the article of justification has fallen, everything has fallen. Without it, the church of God cannot exist even for one hour. And he also said, every week I preach justification by faith to my people because every week they forget it. And so, biblical scholar and theologian Leon Morris said this, that this section of Romans, it may possibly be the most important single paragraph ever written. So those are pretty weighty words to a, uh, a very weighty doctrine that shook the earth when Martin Luther and others brought it back to light. And so I'm going to jump right in. I want to unpack the doctrine of being justified by faith alone, or in Latin, sola fide, uh, under two headings or two points. Uh, and they are these, a faith that we must renounce and a verdict that we must receive. So, faith we must renounce. What we must renounce is what Kathy Keller referred to as the natural religion of every human heart, which is self-righteousness or self-justification or faith in ourselves. Paul writes in verse 27, what becomes of our boasting. And, and he says, our boasting is excluded from this picture of, of being justified or made right in the eyes of God. 
In other words, no amount of moral virtue, no amount of generosity or service or religious effort or exertion will ever be enough to justify you or me in the sight of God. And so, what is meant by this word justify or justification? You know, one commentary that I read uh, in preparation for today put it this way, justification is a validating performance record that opens doors and gives access. A validating performance record. If you've ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire, you may remember the internal monologue that, that the track athlete Harold Abrams was having with himself, uh, and, and he's, he's standing there on the block ready to run the 100-yard dash for the medal, and he says in his own mind, when the gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. You want approval? Win. You want a job? Present the best resume among all the all other alternatives, your vocational record, your performance record vocationally. You want to get accepted into this college or to that graduate school? You will need to present an academic record that validates you as being qualified for this or that university. Self-justification works this way. Here is my record, therefore reward me, hire me, accept me, praise me, declare me justified, declare me validated. There, there are two forms of boasting that we, we really should consider as we're, we're exploring this passage, and Paul is really honing in on the first one, which is religious boasting, but there's also a, a, a non-religious or, or pagan or uncircumcision version as well that he alludes, alludes to. But first, religious boasting. If you, if you look at 29 and 30, verses 29 and 30, Paul starts to unpack this idea of circumcision. Now, circumcision, a lot like baptism in Christian churches, is sort of the external covenant sign of belonging. Uh, and, and when you were circumcised, it, it, it said that you are now part of, of Israel. You, you have the mark of God on you through circumcision. And, and, and for us in the Christian church, uh, circumcision has been replaced and in, in many ways Christians believe fulfilled in, in baptism. But this phrase, as Paul uses it in his letter, uses it in his letters, circumcision, also is a word throughout the New Testament that represents the entire system and way of life within Judaism. See, because there, there were certain groups that, 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 that believed you had to be culturally Jewish. You had to observe Jewish days and seasons and Jewish rites and rituals in order to have a validating record, in order to belong, in order to be justified. And it's interesting, Paul himself has, has had a very successful career up to this point as, as a young rabbi, and, and he's, you know, converted to Christianity, but he's still Jewish. And, and he poses the question, is God the God of the Jews only? Do you have to be culturally Jewish in order to 
be validated in the sight of God. Is He also not the God of Gentiles? Yes, of Gentiles also. So, this was… He wrote these words into a climate where His words would, would have been scandalous to some because there were rabbis who prayed prayers like this, no doubt a prayer that Paul had once prayed too, thank you, my God, that I'm not a Gentile. Thank you, my God, that I have the validating record of the law and the covenants and the rituals and the days and the seasons of observance. Or like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18 prayed, prayed a self-justifying prayer. He prayed a boast. Where is our boasting? Here was his boast. Thank you, my God, that I'm not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector over here, I fast twice a week. I'm a very pious religious person, and I give a tenth of all I get. I'm generous. I'm charitable. Here's my record. Reward me, hire me, accept me, praise me, receive me. And the boast might, might be a little bit different in, in the heart of those of us who identify as Christians, but it's, it's still religious boasting when we, when we say or when we think or when we feel this. Here's my record, my church attendance. Look at my church attendance. Look at my charitable giving. Look at my Bible knowledge. Look at my reformed theology. Look at my, my principled opposition to reformed theology. You know, it's like uh, the musician Rich Mullins sang in one of his songs, I don't cheat on my taxes. I don't cheat on my girl. I've got values that would make the White House jealous. And then he goes on, and don't you know it's hard, so hard, so hard to be like Jesus. And that's really the only validating record that's legitimate, to be completely like Jesus, perfect in all your ways from the moment you were conceived until the moment of your death. Oh, it's hard to be like Jesus. So, this idea of circumcision, this idea that you can, you can, you can cross this sort of precipice of, of religious devotion such that you can present a record of faith in yourself and all of your religious activity and resume, it's bunk because it's hard impossible even to be like Jesus. But then there's also the, the uncircumcision way of trying to validate ourselves. We call it pagan boasting, perhaps. There's this word in verse 25 that Paul uses, and the word is propitiation, sort of a, a thick word. But it's a word that means the removal of wrath. And so, so when a first century Roman in particular, a first century pagan a first century uncircumcised person would hear the word propitiation. To that person's ears, it would stir the memory of the pagan gods. The pagan gods were moody, they were hot-tempered, demanding, capricious. It was as if they had borderline personality disorder. You know, the disorder that, that, that lives by the mantra, I hate you, don't leave me. I'm going to punish you, and I need you. That was how the ancient pagan gods were understood. You're always walking on eggshells with them. And in order to appease them, this was the pagan understanding, to, to appease the pagan gods, 
whether it's Zeus or Athena or Aphrodite or whomever, to appease them, you have to make a sacrifice that somehow induces pain on yourself. In other words, to to avoid their punishment, you have to do self-punishment. In order to avoid their infliction of some sort of, uh, you know, punitive, uh, you know, retaliatory act against you, you have to retaliate against yourself in order to avert their wrath, in order to propitiate yourself. You know, we see this in, in the, the ancient god Moloch, who's written about in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament prophets especially. You had to sacrifice your own children into the flames in order to propitiate yourself from his wrath. Or the prophets of Baal, you, you had to cut yourself. You had to self-mutilate in order for the wrath of Baal to be withheld from you. And, and you know, the, the 21st century post-enlightenment, secular humanist in us would say, well, I'm not religious. And these kinds of beliefs are precisely why I'm not religious. But are you? Isn't it true that everyone has a self-defense strategy to escape the negative verdicts, to escape the threat of being punished by the universe. You don't have to be religious to have a strategy to protect yourself from the negative forces in the universe. You know, Oprah Winfrey did an interview recently at the Tribeca TV Festival, and, uh, you know, she was asked about, you know, tell us about this guest and that guest, and she, she stopped and she said, you know, there's one question that all of my guests ask me, all of them. They ask a variation of the same question after I interview them. And Oprah says this, everybody that I've ever interviewed at some point would say, how was that? Was that okay? How did I do? Whether it was Barack Obama, Beyonce, or the guy who murdered his kids, at the end of every interview, somebody would say, was that okay? So, Speaking of Oprah, when she first discovered several years ago, you know, this was before, you know, the Weight Watchers, you know, and her association with Weight Watchers and such, you know, she, she got on the scale and recognized that she was over 200 pounds. And, and her response in an interview to that was, I am mad at myself. I am embarrassed. Because we know if you weigh too much, if your interview doesn't go well enough, you're going to get punished. You're going to get excluded, overlooked, gossiped about, talked about on the talk shows, etc. Which is why one as- a couple of aspects of, of 21st century American religion is that we overwork and we undereat. Because it's inexcusable in the 21st century American Baal-like, Moloch-like mindset not to bring it, not to perform, not to measure up in whatever your lane is, not to win. You have 10 seconds to justify your existence or maybe an entire career or a body type to justify your entire existence. It's what the Bible calls the fear of man. We either fear God and, 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 and look to Him to define us, or we fear human beings and we look to the opinions of human beings to define us. You know, we overwork, we undereat, 
Because we're telling ourselves secretly, our internal monologue is this, if I don't fix this, if I don't justify my life with another win, another project, another bonus, another 10 pounds lost, the world is moody, the world is hot-tempered and capricious, and it will reject me and punish me and forget me. We're all after a verdict. Whether you're religious or not, you're religious. Whether you're religious or not, you are after some self-defense strategy to protect you from the gods. What's the answer? Sola fide, faith alone. Verse 25, Paul talks about the propitiation that comes to those who believe by His blood, by the blood of Jesus on the cross, to be received by faith. Faith in Christ, the moment faith is transferred from myself to Christ, from that moment forward, God will never give the first thought to punishing me retributively because all of of, of that retributive punishment was laid on Christ who cried, my God, why have you you forsaken me? The answer to that question is God forsook Jesus so He would never have to forsake us, so that He could propitiate us, so He could remove any threat of wrath or retaliation from our consciousness. Just as it says in Isaiah, the punishment that brought us peace was laid upon Jesus. What's our contribution to this scenario? How do we get in on this? I am glad you asked. Here is how we get in on this. We surrender our pride. All you need is nothing. All you need is need. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. That's our contribution. Empty hands are our contribution. A faith we must renounce is the faith that we place in ourselves to justify ourselves, whether from a place of religious circumcision or non-religious non-circumcision. But then there's more. There's a verdict that we have to receive. And that really is the emphasis in this text. The emphasis is on the word receive. By faith alone and not by works, by faith specifically in Jesus Christ, the perfect life He lived on your behalf and, and the gruesome punitive death He died on your behalf, by faith alone and not by works, Paul says, you get propitiation. You get the removal of punishment. It is forgiveness, but it is forgiveness plus Verse 21, you not only get the negative verdicts removed, you also get the positive verdict applied, a record of righteousness that is put on you from the outside, or what Martin Luther called an alien righteousness that defines you, that validates you, that gives you the record, that, 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 that opens doors for you into the gates of God and His glory. It's what Paul says It's what Paul talks about in this way. It's a righteousness that is of or from, in the NIV, God, that has been manifested apart from law, the righteousness of God or from God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe and are justified by His grace as a gift. So, because it's fall, it's getting a little bit colder, which means that it's time for me to break out my bright orange Princeton sweatshirt. 
If, you, if part of the liturgy of your life is to go to Costco every Friday like it's the liturgy of my life, life because it's 30 cents a gallon less there for gas and, you know, buy other stuff, coffee, olive oil, flaxseed in bulk, etc. Um, so, so I wear this sweatshirt quite regularly, usually on Fridays because then I go work out after after Costco. And my wife, Patty, has pushed back on me for a couple years about this sweatshirt. She's like, you sure you should be wearing this sweatshirt? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Of course, it's my sweatshirt. She's like, you went to Furman. You didn't go to Princeton. (laughs) Aren't you sending a misleading message? I mean, after all, you've told me, Scott, you underachieved in high school. Your SAT wasn't high enough to get you into Princeton or any of the Ivies. Are you sure that you should be wearing that sweatshirt out in public? And my answer is, you're darn right I should be wearing it. I'm going to wear it like a boss. (laughs) And here's why. Yom Kippur, Jewish community. We got invited by this lovely Jewish man to attend Yom Kippur services Friday night. Patty and I did. It was wonderful. So much of the beauty of Christ through the liturgy of the temple. And we were so grateful to, to go in there with the perspective of Christ the Mashiach. It was the fulfillment of all that we were talking about and listening to and hearing and receiving. But Yom Kippur points to the Day of Atonement where debts are forgiven and where blame is placed on the head of a goat, it's called a scapegoat, who's sent out into the wilderness carrying the sins of the people with it in a new beginning. But what forgiveness through Christ and a record of righteousness offers is the right to wear clothing that you did not earn and to wear it in public. The gospel is a clothing exchange, if you think about it. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. We came into the equation wearing the scarlet letter with a big, fat, adultery A on our chest. Jesus took that shirt, put it on himself, and he handed us a virgin's wedding dress for us to wear out in public and parade it Insufficient funds, no problem. Jesus will give you bling. (laughs) You made an F or two, no problem. Ivy League sweatshirt. See, because in Jesus, it's as if you're given freely the honorary doctorate that you did not deserve. Here's why I have a Princeton shirt. I spoke at, at, at... three or four Princeton student conferences and, um, you know, campus meetings. And so there's this part of me that thinks I deserve an honorary degree because I spoke three times to Princeton students. <laughs> but Jesus would say, you deserve even, you, you're getting even more than that because I deserved it for you. You're getting an honorary doctorate, not just undergrad. You're going to go out with the reputation of the valedictorian, of the most valuable player, of the homecoming queen, of the one who won the Congressional Medal of Honor, of the one who won the Pulitzer Prize, of the one who got the Grammy. You're going out with that validating record to publicly parade it because that's the clothing I've put on you when I put my righteousness on you. 
You are not only forgiven, you're not merely tolerated, you are celebrated. You're enjoyed. You're delighted in through Jesus. Titus 3, 5, He saved us, He justified us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. This should be humbling. And Paul says so. What has become of our boasting? It is excluded. Why? Because nobody, nobody has a basis to boast because the chasm… You think you can bridge by yourself, by your moral virtue? You think you can, by dropping from a size 6 to a size 2, you can, you can bridge the gap of shame that exists for you and hangs over you? You can't. It's like two people who are trying to jump across the Grand Canyon. You've got a three-year-old who leaps two feet and falls to his death because two feet is all he can jump. And then you've got the Olympic record holder in the long jump who leaps 29 feet, two and a quarter inches, and still, like the two-year-old, falls to his death. The, The end is the same for both. Why? Because the Grand Canyon is 18 miles wide because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You'll never get there on your own. Forget about it. The only way to be justified is to be justified apart from works. Being good will never be good enough. You know, Bishop Hanley Mole put it this way, the harlot, the liar, the murderer are short of God's glory, but so are you. Perhaps they stand at the bottom of a mine and you at the crest of an alp, but you are as little able to touch the stars as they are. Tumbling. Nothing in my hands I bring. It's also empowering, though. You know, the religious approach to life is like the little engine that could, right? I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Biblical faith goes this way. It's like the little engine that couldn't. And finally discovered, you can't. I can't, you can. I can't, you can. I can't, you can. You see that in the centurion who begs Jesus to heal his paralytic servant. Jesus heals, and and Jesus also says, I've never seen faith this big in Israel. That's a small faith he's praising. Or the bleeding woman who's lived with with, with hemophilia all of her life. No amount of health care has helped her, and all of a sudden she touches the hem of Jesus' garment, her little faith, and she's healed by it. The thief on the cross who's mocking Jesus in one breath and then in the next breath saying, Lord, remember me. I mean, if you ever had a small unbaptized faith, it was that. Today you will be with me in paradise, Jesus says. The Luke 18 tax collector who prays right alongside the, the, the Pharisee in his boastful prayer, but his prayer is this, God have mercy on me, the sinner, or literally, God propitiate me, the sinner. And Jesus' verdict The Pharisee goes home condemned, the self-congratulating, boasting Pharisee goes home condemned, and the tax collector goes home, same word, justified. Justified. What does this all mean? It means exactly what we confessed a moment ago as we recited Luther's confessional prayer together. I do not have a strong and firm faith. But as Patrick so beautifully said from this microphone, God is not upset. I do not have a strong faith. God is not upset. That's what the gospel means. A weak faith is as good as a strong faith because it's not the fortitude of your faith 
that gets you anywhere with God. It's the object of your faith, Jesus Christ, who gets you with God. Even a mustard seed, the smallest known seed of that day would move and shake a mountain. I love this letter from a pastor to his anxious and depressed son. It was passed on to me from one of our church members during one of my low points. In the struggles that you face, dear son, I don't want you to ever forget that Moses stuttered and David's armor did not fit and John Mark was rejected by Paul and Hosea's wife was a prostitute and Amos's only training for being a prophet was as a fig tree pruner. Jeremiah struggled with depression and Gideon and Thomas doubted and Jonah ran from God. Abraham failed miserably in lying and so did his child and his grandchild. These are real people who had real failures and real struggles and real inadequacies and real inabilities, and God shook the earth with them. It is not so much from our strength that He draws, but from His invincible might. I am praying that He will give you courage in this quality of His. It's not the quality of your faith, it's the quality of your God that gives you the power that's being spoken of here. Are you damaged goods? Do you recognize that? Terrific! Terrific. You are poised then to blow a hole in the gates of hell. Because as Anne Lamott once said, it is okay to realize that you are crazy and very damaged because all the best people are. It's empowering, but it's also transforming. Paul says in verse 31, do we overthrow the law by faith? Do we no longer have to obey? Are we no longer to surrender to Jesus? By no means. That's foolish. To be loved in this way, to recognize you're loved in this way, and then say, I'm going to live however the hell I want? No! Of course not. We're going to explore this in much more detail in later messages in the series, but in, in the meantime, put this in your pocket. As Luther said, we are saved by faith alone, but never by a faith that is alone, because over time, true saving faith will have moral impact over time. Over time, the sin that used to attract us will come to nauseate us over time, and the godliness that used to nauseate us will come to become attractive over time to us. As retired and deceased, but still very impactful minister of 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia, James Montgomery Boyce, once said, the truly born-again person now pursues intensely what he or she previously despised. If that is not true of you, then there is an invitation being held out to you as well. And that is to run to Jesus immediately and give Him nothing. And in exchange, He will put on you a glorious virgin's wedding dress. Let's pray. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked I come to Thee for dress, helpless I look to Thee for grace, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. And yet, having been washed, 
I live. Having been washed, I no longer wear the scarlet letter, but a virgin's white wedding dress. I no longer carry a transcript that says F. I carry a transcript that says perfect. Thank you, Jesus, for bestowing upon us an honorary righteousness that we did not earn, that we do not deserve, and yet that we celebrate because you saved us, you justified us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of your mercy, which is pictured here at this beautiful table for which we thank you on this Yom Kippur Day of Atonement weekend. Amen.